0: So, we live in a society of disapproval. It's one of my main uh, viewpoints. We live in a place where you're always doing it wrong. You're not smart enough. You're too tall. You're too short. You work too much. You work too little. You're fat. You smell bad. Like, we're constantly getting thousands and thousands of messages that we're doing it wrong. And women are really frustrated with men. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> I say this thing that women are angry and men are dumb. And because men, you know, are not treating women well and women are frustrated.
1: Today's guest is Robert Kendall. That was a little snippet from what we're talking about here today, which is a really interesting conversation. To give you a little bit of Robert's background, he is a life coach, a writer, and a podcast host. He's spent the last 16 years helping people re-energize their lives and build better relationships through more honest and authentic connection. On his weekly podcast, Tough Love, he discusses subjects around relationships, intimacy, communication, and gender dynamics. We're really talking today about how to be in a relationship. We are using the model of a heterosexual relationship in most of this conversation. And I'm asking a lot of questions around getting inside the male brain. Specifically, we talk about what women can do in relationships to foster communication, the importance of creating an environment of approval for your significant other, how one of the most powerful things we can do in our relationships is to tell the truth, but how that's not as simple as it sounds, the danger we face when we don't confront the things we already know to be true in our relationship, and that Me too movement. Of course, I didn't let a guy off the line without addressing that. Oh, I had a little bit of a bone to pick with Robert, not because he's done anything wrong, but we're talking about this idea of women wanting a manly man. I swear Tony Robbins talks about that masculine and feminine thing. So I asked Robert about that. There's a lot of listening in here, so stay tuned. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought, always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Rob, thank you so much for joining us on Here to Thrive today.
0: Thank you. So it's an honor to be here with you today.
1: I want to know a little bit more about your story. How did you become a relationship expert? Did you stumble across this? Was it intentional? Where did this interest in relationships begin?
0: Total stumble, rabbit hole, life change, incredible life. So uh, the way I tell my story is I was normal until I was around 28. And what I mean by that is I was living the corporate American dream, suit and tie job, rising up the corporate ladder, five bedroom house in San Francisco, married was married to a woman who wasn't happy with our status quo. She didn't like the way things were going and then started to ask questions and try things. And the first thing we did is we went to Burning Man in 1998. And that totally etch a sketch my entire life.
1: <laughs> Tell me more.
0: I was like a corporate yuppie uh, guy, very typical, a nice guy, but really kind of a numb and dumb, I would describe myself really just uh, living in the world that I was taught women were uh, less than. And and I say this bluntly now with a lot of introspection. Back then I did not know that, but I had so many viewpoints of growing up a first born New York Jew that I didn't understand the depth of chauvinistic viewpoints and thoughts in my system. And so I was just, you know, really just stuck in the blinders of who I thought I was and what women were at that time.
1: And so what did you feel like Burning Man opened up for you?
0: Well, my my wife, uh, Carol, uh, we're divorced now, but my wife, Carol, said she wanted to go. And I was like, all right. You know, and then the only experience I had, Burning Man is very big now, but very small in 1998. And the only experience I had was this picture book. And in the picture book, there was all these people walking around naked, encrusted in mud. And I was like, no, I am not a naked hippie walking around the desert encrusted in mud. That's not who I am. But I said yes. I said yes for her because I thought I was going to make her happy. I wanted to please her. And so the funny part is we went and it was very uh, a big journey to get there. And I got out of the car and I remember this distinctly. Uh, Even though it was 20 years ago, I I got out of the car and there was like this wind coming off the desert and there's drums in one direction and techno music in the other direction. And the words came to me, you're home. And I was like, what? And I was like, no, you're home. And it was that first moment where I saw the possibility of an alternative life. And it was just one really strong, deep, intuitive moment of my life.
1: Do you feel like you had been very connected to yourself before that?
0: I had an intuitive side, but it was very, I don't want to say this, sort of like mainstream. Like I knew good business choices or new school choices or friend choices, but it was very narrow in its scope. And I didn't tend to trust anything outside my comfort zone, which was very tight. It had a very tight comfort zone. And so something like that, me being home in an environment like that was totally alien to me at the moment.
1: So you go to Burning Man. Did you feel at home while you were there? Were you were you covered in mud? I'm fascinated now.
0: Oh, I wasn't covered in mud, uh, luckily, but I, wa- I did feel at home, which was shocking because I don't know if you know a lot about Burning Man, but it's alternative. There's nudity. Um, I was very kind of ashamed of my body, even though I was in good shape. There was a lot of overt sexuality. And it was relaxed, like I had nothing to do except sit around and read books and eat oranges. And so it was very outside my normal of who I was.
1: Did you say you were in your late 20s at that point?
0: I was 28. And for those who know, 28 is a Saturn return, which in uh, the parlance is basically a life change happened to 28. And it was a major life change for me.
1: No way. I didn't know that because mm-hmm. my late 20s, around 28, was an interesting time in my life, too. So that's really interesting.
0: Every seven years, apparently.
1: Oh, okay. So you go from Burning Man. How do you continue to de- develop after that?
0: Well, at Burning Man, we had some pretty major experiences, um, including one where we started talking about our sex life for the first time. And I had never been honest with anyone in my entire life around my sex and desires. It was all really hidden. And she was the same way. And we had very um, active imaginations but no communication around it. And so at Burning Man, we had some really honest conversations about things we wanted to change. And so we got back and then we just, we dedicate ourselves to, okay, let's explore what's in there. And so it became a really fun conversation We started taking workshops. We went to a swingers club. It was just like this epic time. And it was San Francisco in the late 90s, which was an amazing time of community, of dance, of raves. And so my whole life opened up from that one time of going to Burning Man, that one conversation about uh, honesty around our sexuality.
1: It sounds to me like you start exploring, but you start learning as well about what it takes to be a human in a relationship.
0: That's, that's a good thing. I mean, on some level, I was a program. I was a facade before that. I was a book or a script that my parents had handed out to me. Like, this is who you are to be a man in a relationship. You know, you provide for your wife. You go to mountain bike with your buddies. You don't cheat. You don't drink too much. And you're basically live inside a cage. You live hidden. And that's That's who I was and that's how I lived my life. And then the Burning Man experience was the first permission I gave myself to start to bring those parts of myself that were so deeply hidden inside of me out and about.
1: And do you have a partner now? You mentioned that you're no longer with the wife you had when you were in your late 20s.
0: My first wife and I, Carol, had she was the start of my journey, which I'm really grateful for her. And we split up when I was 33. And here I am 47, and I just got married again to Morgan um, about a month ago. So I'm on my second marriage with the most amazing woman. I feel grateful. So I'm in an amazing, committed, deep, loving, expansive relationship.
1: So what do you think it takes with all of these years of knowledge, experimentation, and being a man? What do you think it takes to be a good partner or a good spouse to someone?
0: The main thing to do, to be a good anything, is a degree of honesty with oneself. And I think this is what most people do not do. And because of that, if we're not honest with who we are with ourselves, first and foremost, then what happens is we start to wear masks and facades. We start to build up defense systems. We start to create stories about ourselves to be liked rather than be seen. So the first thing people have to do that they're horrible at is to do the internal investigation of who you truly are about what you truly want to get in agreement with these different parts of ourselves. And then to learn the, the second step is to learn the communication skills to communicate that with your partner, with your family, with your, with your mates, with your work people, et cetera, et cetera.
1: I was just saying to a friend the other day that I think learning to coexist with another human is possibly one of the hardest things, and I Mm -hmm. don't think that society really sees it that way. I think we jump into relationships and expect them to be easy, but Mm -hmm. I know that when I look at my own relationship, having been with my husband for 10 years now, I feel closer to him than I ever have, Mm -hmm. and I know it's because... I know his quirks now, he knows mine, it really does play back to that idea of being able to be completely seen by the other person, to be Uh relaxed and to be yourself. Do you have any other tips that you think make it easier to learn to live with someone else?
0: Well, I totally agree with you that relationships are a pain in the ass. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just, it, by, right? just
0: by definition.
1: It's like, oh my gosh, I have to like share all my stuff. You're always here. It's coexisting, mm-hmm. which is not as simple as we seem no. to make it.
0: No, it's a total pain in the ass. Well, there's there's so many different directions we can go with this. I'll pick a few and you can see what you want to talk about. So the first is is that a lot of people look externally for joy and validation which is the greatest crutch especially for men so men believe that if they have an attractive partner if they have sex frequently if they uh, provide positive validation then everything's going to be okay so they constantly look externally for they're doing it right in the world maybe it's the job maybe it's the car maybe it's the bank account maybe it's the woman or whatever you know sexual orientation you are we look externally which uh, hamstrings us because we're dependent on the other person to Mm self-validate. So I teach men how to first look internally to build up their self-esteem. Self-esteem is built upon esteemable acts. That is a a 12-step quote that I use time and time again. If you want to feel good about yourself, do the steps that have you feel good internally first. Because if you look externally, it's like betting your rent on a tech stock. Sometimes you're in the money. Other times you're in the basement. You don't want to do that. You want to build the internal systems so you can feel good about yourself all the time.
1: I couldn't agree more with that. And I think it's the same with women. I think so many women look for validation in their partner Mm -hmm. and they wait for their partner to tell them that they're okay before they believe it in themselves. Right.
0: Right. Which is... Ridiculous. Ridiculous.
1: It totally is. So when you talk about that 12 steps, what are, what is the action that men or women can take to start to connect with themselves or look internally for that self-validation?
0: Well, you have to kind of do an inventory. And you can think of it sort of like a bank account. When I do this, I get positive credits. When I do this, I get negative credits. And so I'll speak very pragmatically and baseline about myself. So when I go to the gym three or four times a week, uh, it's a positive thing for me. I know that about my system that I, I gain self-esteem by going to the gym three or four times a week. I know I lose esteem. I lose confidence when I don't eat consciously, when I have that extra ice cream or I have that extra slice of pizza, when I'm not conscious. Um, every time I tell the truth to my partner, to Morgan, I feel good about myself, especially about the chargey things and the difficult things. And every time I withhold and withholding is lying, I feel bad about myself every time I'm sneaky about something. And so I become really attuned to the negative and the positive aspects of my actions. Most people will numb themselves out through alcohol, through shopping, through porn, through gaming, through unconscious acts. So they won't pay attention to the, the positive or negative actions. So people in the nu- who are numbed out don't know if the self-esteem is increasing or decreasing. So you have to rise above your numbing options and start to feel.
1: That's so interesting because I'm a huge believer in two happy people make a happy relationship Mm -hmm. rather than a relationship makes you happy. And Mm -hmm. I know that perhaps the more confident and the happier I've become in myself, the happier my relationship has become. And it sounds to me like you're talking about a very similar idea. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, you know, your partner doesn't want to carry you. Women do not want a man as a child, which is actually uh, a rising epidemic, especially in the States. This Peter Pan, I never want to grow up. But like my ex-wife said, she had three children, her two daughters and her husband, her ex-husband. Like, you know, women don't want to mother you. They want to feel maternal. They want to take care of you at times, but they don't want to be your mother. And so it's really important for men to step up and not look to recreate the mother-son relationship consciously or unconsciously with your wives. And so I spend a lot of time working on myself, which ultimately really empowers the relationship because Morgan can then choose to take care of me rather than me subtly or not so subtly demanding she takes care of me.
1: What about from the other side? Do men want to be with women who are confident in their skins?
0: Well, that is a very different thing. So, men and women are different in a lot of different ways. So, women get validation from their attractiveness, how much they can attract. Not necessarily their physical attractiveness, though that helps. It's really their ability to manifest and attract things towards them. Men get validation from their production, how much they can produce, how much they can create. These are, these are also very general. and I know there's exceptions on both genders and all genders, really, but we'll just start there. So, when a woman needs a man, when she acts like a broken-winged bird, the man gets to play the prince on the white horse, there's actually a lot of validation in that. So, a lot of men will look for unconfident women so the man can feel successful in his production of producing a result for the woman.
1: I look back at my own past and I think about the time when I wasn't so confident. I perhaps attracted relationships, though, that weren't that healthy. Mm-hmm. There was this dynamic of perhaps an imbalance, I would say. Mm-hmm. Do you think that is something that can be dangerous in a relationship where, say, a woman is lacking a little bit of confidence and a man tries to swoop in and save the day? Can that sometimes turn into manipulation or control?
0: Well, I'm going to give you an answer slightly different than you probably expected. That is the societal norm we're facing today. So if you look at the bell-shaped curve of relationships, most relationships in the middle of the bell curve, the highest – quantity, have a very strong flavor of that. That is the meme of society. From my perspective, from from me wanting to help couples and singles to have the optimal relationship, I think it's completely toxic. And, and this is important, what's happening in the last 20 years, if you look at the, a lot of the social dynamics and a lot of the research is showing, women are rising up in power. The pay grade that existed. I'm sorry these are all US-based stats, but so the pay grade that existed in 19, in the mid-1980s it was 64 cents for women for every dollar the man made. Recently, when you look at millennial women entering the workforce, it's 93 cents for every dollar uh, a man makes. So in a generation, a generation and a half, we've seen a 30 uh, 30 cent swing. So what's happening is women are like, wow, I don't need to play the broken winged bird anymore. I'm actually getting more jobs. Um, more women are graduating college in, than men. It's switched. And so because that women are like, huh, I don't need to play the broken wing anymore. But men are stuck in the old dynamic. They haven't evolved. And in that, there's a lot of dissatisfaction and a lot of conflict between the genders because no one knows who to be and how to act.
1: Oh, that makes so much sense. And mm-hmm. I feel very lucky that I'm married to a man who I would say has evolved. Mm-hmm. And perhaps some of that was related to the fact he had a very strong female role model as his mother. But mm-hmm. I've never thought of it like that. And it kind of makes me think of the the Tony Robbins idea. And I'm pretty sure it was Tony Robbins. I think I saw it when I watched I I I am not your guru, Mm -hmm. where he was putting forward the idea, and you may know more about this than me, so correct me if I'm wrong, but that women want super masculine men and that you kind of, like as a woman, you kind of want some kind of macho man to come and rescue you. That irked me. Like that sounded Mm. really chauvinistic. And I can remember Mm. being like, it's not that simple. No, I don't want some bullish man coming and saving me and treating me like a little miss. Was I misinterpreting his message? Because I feel like that's an excuse for bad male behavior.
0: Okay. Um, I didn't see that particular part of it, but I can answer it because I know a lot about this topic. So here's what I perceive women want. Women want a dynamic, varied player who can change from really feminine To really masculine. In my cosmology, everyone has a degree of masculine and feminine inside of them. Some men are very feminine, some women are very masculine, but we all have this ratio, and the ratio can shift as you grow and learn things as you evolve, if you let different parts of yourself out. So, women want, my perception, a man who can go from different ends of the scale, from really feminine, meaning receptive warm, holding, to really masculine, dominant, um, able. They want the man to be able to flow, to see them, understand them, read them, and then understand the right part of themselves to bring out. So, I'll give you an example. So, I'm I'm more masculine than I am feminine, though I've really developed my feminine in my personal work for the last 20 years. And so I was talking to uh, Morgan and she was talking about an issue that she was having. And I immediately went into my masculine and I said, oh, this is how you fix it. Boom, 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 boom. And then her face got really kind of screwed up. And I'm like, huh, wh- what? And she's like, <laughs> you know, I just I just wanted you to validate my feelings.
1: It's so I just think this is such a great example because how yeah. like perfectly cliche is it. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I was like, oh I yes, I got it. And so she, you know, the best thing about my relationship with Morgan is she educates me and I listen. And so I'm like, got it, got it. I apologize and we we laughed about it rather than her holding it and being mad at me for being myself she educated me on what to do. And so now, since that was a good six months ago, every time she starts to bring up a problem, I immediately like pay more attention. And at first I'm like, wow, I can really hear that must be really painful. And she smiles because I got the lesson. And then she's like, okay, now how do I fix it? And so (laughs) the the point is, is that we've evolved into a point where I know I have to start sometimes with the feminine with her and then move into the masculine. That's what women truly want. They don't want, man just to be masculine or just feminine. They want him to be able to swing back and forth from the extremes.
1: That makes sense to me. And yes, I do want that in a spouse. And I do have that in my husband, luckily enough. How do women encourage their men to function in that way? Is it possible for women to educate their partners or is it really something that has to start with the man?
0: well, there's there's two sides of it. Let me actually let me bring in one more uh, fact. Okay, So more women are going into the workforce and moving from the purely feminine into a mix of feminine and masculine. When they're in their workforce, they tend to be more in their masculine. So a lot of women are coming home from being in their masculine productive, contained, controlled, sharp, and they actually want to come home and go into the feminine. I think that's what Tony was referring to, is they want a man to be able to show up in his masculine so then the woman can be in her feminine and just being taken care of. Mm-hmm. So they, they want him to be able to mirror. Now, the question is, can women educate men? Absolutely. Like I said, when I started this journey 20 years ago, numb and dumb, Didn't know a thing about women, all these chauvinistic thoughts. I surrendered to my teachers, a mix of women and men, so I could learn to listen to all people, but specifically women. When I started, I had a bias that I thought I was smarter than women. And so I've had to learn over many ego-destructing moments to to surrender and listen to a woman because more often than not, they're, they're seeing things that I'm not seeing. So my ability to say yes has added a whole level of education, a PhD level of women willing to tell me the truth and me listening.
1: I think it's so interesting when you can now admit that you had that bias those mm-hmm. all those years back because I think so many men are harboring that bias but they won't own it. How can we encourage men into that deeper level of self-awareness? Any tips?
0: Well, the first is you have to make it safe. That's, that's the truth. So we live in a society of disapproval. It's one of my main uh, viewpoints. We live in a place where you're always doing it wrong. You're not smart enough. You're too tall. You're too short. You work too much. You work too little. You're fat. You smell bad. Like we're constantly getting thousands and thousands of messages that we're doing it wrong. And women are really frustrated with men. (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) I say this thing that women are angry and men are dumb. And because men, you know, are not treating women well and women are frustrated. And so we're in this dynamic where no one's really getting fed. No one's really talking because no one's listening to each other. So a woman has to, if she wants a man to uh, respond to her, she has to improve, increase her approval muscle, her approval capacity. To say, "I that's not what I want you to do," but I appreciate you taking the time to learn to improve. Like it's it's increasing it because when you when you flood your request with approval, a man is much highly uh, more likely to say yes rather than the dis- disapproval and the anger and the frustration that men are used to. So, if a woman wants a man to change, the first thing she has to do is be like, "Okay." He's not acting the way I want him to, but at least it feels like it's possible. I'm going to make it really fun or enjoyable for him to change. That's the first thing.
1: Mm, that totally makes sense to me around that safety idea. And I think it goes for women as well. We, when we feel like we're being attacked, we Mm -hmm. become defensive. But when we feel like someone's on our side and they support us, we're much more open to change.
0: Mm -hmm. Totally. Totally.
1: So you were saying that's the first step. Are there any other things that we can do as women? Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Can we go into that more? What does that mean?
0: It's, it's tell the truth. It's, (laughs) it's not a, it's not a, difficult concept, although it is very challenging to implement. So most people are liars and they're withholders and they withhold the truth, praying that if they think something loud enough, their partner will pick it up.
1: Oh, so we- true, Rob. Right. So true.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So women are trained to pick up subtle nonverbal communication significantly better than men as a general rule. Men are not trained. Men are p- trained to focus on the thing at hand. We're hunters. We're we're single-minded maniacs, really, and that's it stayed till today. So we're we're really trained to handle one thing at a time. Women are trained in biologically, biologically, and uh, in society, to be able to pay attention to a lot of things. And so men don't pick up on the same subtle cues that women do. But women think they should, and women think they do. And when they don't, they get angry at the guy for not noticing things they do. So how do you educate a man on how to see the things they do? You have to educate them and you have to tell the truth in the moment with approval. Just like Morgan did for me. She's like, she could have kept her mouth shut and just let me do my masculine thing of trying to fix it. She loves me deep enough to say with approval okay, this is what I really wanted. And I was so surrendered to her. I was like, oh, sorry, oops. And then instead of it being something she withheld, she educated and now our whole lives are changed because she's willing to tell us the one truth.
1: Mm, It makes so much sense because I tell my clients all the time that you have to tell your partner or even your boss or your colleague, you have to tell people what you need. You can't expect them to guess. Right. So it's the right. same concept to really apply it to a relationship.
0: Right. And I have a process for this that I've developed. Do you want to yes, hear it? Yes, yes, I do. Okay. So I'm, I'm a pragmatic coach. You know, we're, we're into the, the processes and the details. Okay. So here's the first thing. The, the way I recommend, like, let's say partner A has something that they withheld or something inside of them, a truth they want to tell. It's Maybe it's a big truth. Maybe it's desire. Maybe it's something they did in the past. So there's something inside they want to say and they're scared to death of uh, hurting their, their partner B's ego or them leaving or some abandonment or, you know, there's there's fear. But they want to say it because they want to be closer to their partner. So the first step is, is to ask partner B for a specific time where we can sit and talk about something. So turn off the cell phones. If they have kids, make sure there's a babysitter. Turn off the television. You know, don't have music. Just sit and create the space for the truth to be told. That's number one. The number two is, and this is the thing that most people don't think about. Partner A, I recommend that they apologize to partner B for withholding this information. Mm. There's this thing inside of me that I've been withholding. I didn't feel safe to say it to you. And I, I'm just sorry that I've held this inside of me for so long. I, I just didn't know how to say it. I was really worried about you, how your reaction was or what your parents would think, et cetera. This is my motivation for withholding. And I just want to apologize for withholding this part of myself. Then when it's clear, partner A says the truth in as short as sentence as possible. Um, I cheated on you a couple years ago. Um, I have the desire to make out with my best friend. Uh, I really want to quit my job and I know, uh, it, it'll cause financial, but I don't know what to do. Um, your sister and I have an awful relationship, but I never want to see her again. Like whatever that deep truth is, say it and then shut up. <laughs> Just let the truth lie. Then let part your partner, partner B have the space to have their feelings mm-hmm. and listen listen actively don't listen with a response of how to handle partner B listen to what they're saying and then have a back and forth dialogue where both people can listen and have that dialogue with the desire to be a team to I want to enroll you in this process I want to do this with you I don't want to keep the secret to myself anymore I want you to know me have it feel really good for partner B. That partner A wants to share this really scary, intimate thing inside to them.
1: So you create this safe space. You really open the floor and create a dialogue is what I'm hearing.
0: Mm-hmm. True.
1: My my thought is that by sharing your deep truths, by, sh- by sharing the stuff that is scary with your partner, it brings you closer. Is that, is that the correct assumption? No. <laughs> no. It can do the complete opposite.
0: <laughs> it's the roll of the dice. So, And that's, that's what intimacy is. So anytime you tell the truth to your partner, you're going to create more intimacy with your partner. And sometimes the results are not exactly what you want. But my view is that most people are willing to say in mediocrity – in status quo rather than risk changing that out of fear. And that fear is sometimes really valid. Like if this person breaks up with me, I don't know how I'm going to eat. Like there's some really valid things. I have these three kids and if I'm a single mom, how am I going to survive, etc., etc. So there's some valid fear of staying in your status quo. So be cautious. And when you tell the truth, when you bring up that part of yourself, you're risking what that person, but for me, My choice is I want to keep getting closer and closer to the people I'm relating to. And so I have to be willing to tell the truth in order for them to know me and not have this withhold this chasm. And those chasms can be big. I would much rather know the truth than relate to a facade.
1: Mm. So yeah, it's, it's a gamble, but if you win the, the space between you becomes closer. It makes,
0: well, my viewpoint is once you tell the truth, you always win. I mean, that's, That is not depending on the circumstance. Again, if I'm looking externally at the results, then it's a a huge risk on win-loss. If I know that me being honest with myself and really living fully who I am and you tell the truth, there's no way to lose because you're authentically being who you are.
1: Boom. Right there. Yep. That for sure. You can't lose by telling the truth. No. I think this flows really nicely now into the conversation around breakups, though. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of clients who have recently had their hearts massively broken. Husbands mm-hmm. have left unexpectedly after years of being together with really no answers. And long-term boyfriends who have completely ghosted their partners. Again, mm-hmm. really not giving them anything to go by. And I see that in my clients a lot when it comes to breakups. Mm-hmm. From the male perspective, do you have any insights into what is going on in the male brain when men completely shut down and withdraw like that?
0: Well, I have some possibilities. Let's put it that way. Well, first off, I think what's happened today with the Tinder revolution is the abundance of choice that everyone has, but men especially like a novelty, they like variety. And so what's happening is they're seeing there's so many possible ways to swipe left and swipe right to go for the bigger and better deal. That's the first thing, is that we really are living in a new world where there's so many more possibilities, which is scary. Women uh, don't have the same relationship to it as men do because men are hunters. We want to be able to keep fine and change things. So that's that's one side of it. I want to give the reality that it's a horrible epidemic of, okay, it didn't work out. I'm going to pull out my phone and within you know 20 minutes I could be dialoguing with someone new. That is a new reality that's happened in the last 10 years. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that I call dual responsibility for both the man and the woman in the breakup. Because if a guy is leaving after a year of... Years of relationship on a whim, I suspect the woman knew something was up, but didn't have the courage to tell the truth. Now, of course, there are examples that there's total mystery, but we often non confront what we don't want to see. And in doing so, I think what happens is the man has desire or he doesn't feel safe to tell the desire. I hold both parties responsible for the breakup because the woman didn't ask or see.
1: I'm just kind of thinking about my clients' situations. And when you say it's like a dual responsibility, I, I and we're talking about that truth telling. I wonder, you know, the responsibility on those other partners to tell their truth while they were in the relationship and they didn't do it.
0: Right. So I'm not saying the men are scot-free in any shape or form. (laughs) I I hope that didn't come across.
1: No, 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 it didn't at all. But I am thinking, you know, like that truth telling, because when we're talking about sort of getting ghosted or Mm -hmm. cutting something without very little answers, there has to be a truth somewhere there that wasn't told.
0: Right. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And so Morgan and I are... You know, we've been together close to three years. You know, we got married a month ago and it's been a dynamic relationship. And so my vow to her from the very beginning was, I'm going to tell you my truth 100% of the time, then you get to choose. And I want to invite you to tell me your truth. And so she really had a more from a relationship, her, her first marriage, which was sort of a prison where she lived inside a box inside of it, to really having the opportunity to tell me everything and everything with me and her is interesting and curious like oh my god that thought or this thought and so and it's been a constant dialogue and negotiation and um, morphing and changing and in that we know each other and so there's no option for us to leave each other by surprise because we can we know each other so deeply so if you're in a relationship where you're looking at your partner, I'm like, I'm not really sure what's going on in there. That's the point to say to that person, listen, there are times when I'm looking at you and I have absolutely no idea who you are. I have no idea why you reacted that way. I want to know you. Can we open up the dialogue so we can truly know each other rather than me sitting in my imagination of who you are? And one truth leads to another truth. This is not like you need to do it all in the first night. It's like you can start to pull the threads and invite out those deepest, darkest parts because most people do not feel safe to reveal the deepest parts of themselves because we're scared of being ghosted or abandoned. So if you make it safe for your partner to tell you the truth, the odds of them staying increases exponentially.
1: Yeah, I'm really getting that theme of safety, right? Creating this environment of safety where it's safe for your partner to tell you their truth and you also feel safe to share yours.
0: Right. And reward them. That's a second piece. Don't just make it safe. You know, just yesterday, um, I did something and Morgan made a face.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like that Morgan makes faces. This is brilliant.
0: She, she, she's a horrible poker player. She'd be the first, I mean, horrible poker player. I said to them, I said, I'm going to the gym. And then she made a face. And I was like, you know, can I ask, you know, what was that thought when I said that? And she went boom, boom, boom. And I went, oh, well, that's not true. This is boom, boom, boom. She's like, oh. And then it, instead of me walking away with the withhold or the hurt or the confusion about the face, I asked her and she told me and I believed her. And then I gave her my side. She believed me. And all of a sudden, that possible withhold, that possible charge, and we have millions of charges with, those, with longstanding partners doesn't get in the way of us relating. It's no longer a question. I have reality.
1: Oh, so such a good example i'm also just thinking about how probably about a month ago my husband and i went out on a date night and as i mentioned we've been together 10 years now and he just decided he was going to ask me a whole bunch of questions like mm-hmm. we were really kind of on a first date yeah. and it we had the most amazing night we were like what's your favorite movie and just what's your favorite food and there were so many things that I could guess, he'd be like, "What's my favorite food?" and I would guess and would laugh and or I'd know and would laugh or but there were some things that I learned about him that I was like, "Wow." And we talked about some of our hopes and dreams and it helped me feel reconnected to him. So I think if you are wondering how to connect with your spouse, it's just A really fun idea to ask them some questions or create an environment where you can open up those kind of fun dialogue if you like.
0: True. Well, here's another part of that, which I'm glad you said that. So we are dynamic, evolving human beings. Period. So who I am at 47 is very different at 44, it's very different at 35. It's very different at 25. It's certainly different than 15. We evolve. And we want ourselves to evolve. Can you imagine coming up with the same viewpoints now than you were 10 years ago? We read, we learn, the world changes, we expand, new things arise, our body changes. Everything changes. We're evolving. Even your physicality, you know, your cells regenerate. I think it's every two years you have a completely different uh, bodily system. Don't call me on the two years. I just made that up. That was a memory. <laughs> I know. So the,
1: there is something about that, though.
0: That it's true. Like you, I do know your biology changes. And we expect on some level for our partners to stay the same. And when they evolve, then there's a sense of betrayal. <gasps> you have that desire now, especially men. Men have kind of rigid, like, you want that now? That is so demanding. And so what we do is, subtly or not so subtly, we, we box in our partners. We want their evolution to be at the speed of our comfort my relationship with Morgan from the beginning is I want you to totally evolve and I'm going to be supportive of your evolution. She's supportive of my evolution. And if you don't try to tamp down, if you don't try to make your partner small, then when they do change, they're going to relate to you. And all of a sudden you're two dynamic evolving human beings with a dynamic evolving relationship. And so it totally makes sense that after 10 years you're asking questions because you're totally different today than you were yesterday than you were a year ago. So expect your partner to change, reward them to change, and don't try to box them in so you feel comfortable.
1: 100% agree. I was 25 when I met my husband, and I'm 35 now. And whoa, have I done some growing up in that time. And that's what we were talking about, you right. know? And it was great just to open a conversation about that.
0: Right. And it's fun. It's like, oh my goodness.
1: We had really? so much fun. We yeah. really did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when I was in my early twenties, Rob, I had my fair share of heartbreak and rough relationships. Okay. All right. And I read a book that was written by the guy who was one of the writers for Sex in the City called He's Just Not That Into You. I don't mm. know if you're familiar with the book. Someone told me the other day, the same guy has written a book called It's Called a Breakup because it's broken, mm. which I haven't read. But what are your thoughts on the idea that if a guy is treating you like shit, he's really not worth your time? Is it that simple?
0: No, nothing, simple. nothing <laughs> simple. Okay, so first off, uh, you can celebrate your breakups if you choose. Most people look at breakups as failures, or if your relationship ends, it's a failure. I have a 180 degree view from that. My view is that if you were amazing at 25 and all of a sudden you're 28 and your desires change, and, and you look at that person, you're like, I don't really want that anymore. You know, we look at, we have to make the, the old thing bad to go to our next thing. My viewpoint is wow, holy cow, I grew so much with you and I'm so grateful. And you can celebrate your breakups as an evolution of who you are. So that's first. And that could include, you know, when I was 25, I was willing to put up with your, you know, drinking or I was willing to put up with your uh, extra uh, relational. Activities. Um, I was willing to put up with your slobbery. And now my self esteem has risen at 28, and I'm just no longer willing to do that. So it's important to look at relationship changes as your part of your evolution to celebrate them and not demonize them. It'll save a lot of heartache. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people break up and it hurts. And so I would say, revel in the hurt and look at what it's trying to show you. Wow, there were some toxic aspects of the relationship I didn't look at, um, and there were some codependence that I wasn't willing to confront. Um, I had some habits. So, look at your breakups as great life lessons. Now, if the guy's not treating you well, you have two options. One is you can exit at any point. The second thing is you can say, um, listen, start to tell the truth, like, listen, when you do that, it doesn't feel good. Is that what you want? And if so, I'm not going to put up with it. And the third is sometimes you want to stay in a situation because you want to expand your practice of capacity where you don't want to throw out the relationship. Maybe it's a great guy with a drinking problem and you know, it's very hard to get over drinking problems or drug problems or porn or gaming addiction is not an easy thing to kick. And so what you can say to him is like, listen, I'll stay with you for one more year. You have a year to get your shit together and if you're willing to go to AA, if you're willing to give up your drinking, if you're willing to do the program, if you're willing to do the steps, I'll stay with you. And then give them the choice. And if they say, yes, I'm in 100 percent, thank you for being my muse, my motivation, I'm willing to do it. And he does it, then stay. And if he says, no, I really want to stay who I am. OK, then exit toward the stage or left.
1: Mm. I like I like the way you brought up addiction there, because I think it's something that affects so many relationships and it's not cut and dry. That's not a simple black and white situation. No. So I like the way that you've given some ideas of of how to deal with that, that you don't just immediately need to slam the door on someone you've loved all those years because they're struggling with something like that.
0: Right. I was in a relationship with a woman who was an alcoholic and she started getting sober and I went to Al-Anon. I went to the companion of people who love addicts. And boy, did I learn a lot in that program. So we look at the addict as the bad person or the evil thing in the relationship. No, 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 It's two sides of it. We're both responsible. I co-created her addiction. I know that. And so I did my part to clean up my side. She did her part. The relationship ultimately didn't last. But the growth from it was extraordinary.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, Rob. I ask everyone on my podcast a little few intermission questions. They're kind of okay. like a fun, quick question set. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Are you a morning person or a night person?
0: Morning person.
1: What is currently sitting on your nightstand?
0: I am writing this book. And so I have so many books um, about them looking at uh, Man Interrupted, an amazing book about young men in society. Uh, your your brain on porn. I just started reading. Um, I'm reading a book on communication. There's a book called Traction about business. So my mind is constantly looking at books and looking at ideas of how to better write my book.
1: Do you read before you go to bed at night? Yes. Right, which is why they're next to your next to your bed. Right. What is your favorite self care activity? How do you nurture yourself?
0: Uh, two things. One is I like to go to the movies. And I recently discovered why, because I'm a total control freak in control of all aspects of my life. And when I go to those movies for that two, two and a half hours, I'm totally out of control. I'm sitting back and relaxing. That's one side. The second side is I do like to swim and work out. Uh, There's something about being out of my brain in my body that feels really soothing to me.
1: Mm. Do you have a favorite book that you have read over the years, something that really made an impact to your life or a lesson that stuck with you from a book?
0: Uh, many. Um, the Fountainhead when I was a kid, Anne Rand, an amazing book. Uh, there's a book called uh, The Truth by Neil Strauss, uh, one of my friends and associates, who is just the big, the best tell-all I've ever read, uh, an amazing book around sex addiction and uh, just his journey. So The Truth is an amazing book.
1: Favorite life lesson that took you a long while to learn, one that wasn't simple for you to grasp?
0: Women are more powerful than men. (laughs) 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 Love it. Yeah. And women are smarter in a lot of ways that men aren't smart. And that was very hard for my ego to accept. It took years for me to fully embrace that.
1: I like that one. What is one thing in your day you can't do without?
0: I think it's the morning process with Morgan. Uh, We usually wake up early. The kids have to be up around seven. So we usually wake up uh, between 630 and seven. We'll snuggle. We'll make out a little bit. We'll talk. Uh, That connection is one of my favorite parts of the day.
1: Mm. Rob, do you believe in the soul? And if so, how would you describe it?
0: I believe in the soul. I believe there's a part of ourselves, uh, call it your master, call it your purpose. I think there's a huge part in ourselves that um, just wants to grow that beyond our brain and beyond our personality. So I definitely think there's a soul.
1: So you would say that soul part of us is what's propelling us towards growth?
0: If you listen to it.
1: Yeah, how true is that? (laughs) And finally, what is fulfillment to you?
0: Fulfillment is setting goals for myself, achieving them inside my integrity. So integrity is really important to me, the belief of following the path within my own set of personal rules. And so going, going for and achieving my goals by not surrendering my soul to have them. I've done that in the past. I've sacrificed my soul to have my goals and that's no longer fulfilling. It need to follow it inside my own set of integrity.
1: That makes total sense to me, not sacrificing your soul for the achievement of your goals that was fun okay we're gonna go back to the topic now though i've got a couple more questions for you just to wrap up great i want to talk about the me too phenomenon because it's kind of hard not to right now sure are we seeing a sea change in the relationship between men and women at a macro level for real do you think that men are learning something from the me too movement
0: I think we're in a total epic change. Uh, just watching the, the um, Golden Globes last night, was, or reading about the Golden Globes specifically, was really interesting. And I think men are more scared than wanting to learn. I think men have the fear of God in them of the change that's happening, and the effect is going to be very interesting to watch. Men have been really clueless for the last 15, 20 years especially. And now what they're seeing is their actions are being called to the mat And there are significant consequences on all levels of what they did and what they do. And so men are scared to death.
1: Mm. So do you think this leveling will lead to a new way for us to coexist as two different sexes in the world? And like you said, it's not as simple as two sexes, but if we were to generalize and simplify?
0: Absolutely. I think we're an epic time of change. I think it's been happening anyway. I think... Women, as I mentioned, there's so much statistics that are showing that women are living more in choice than habit in the world. I think men are totally confused. That's why I'm writing the book. And I think what's happening is that there's a big wake-up call that your old toxic behaviors aren't going to cut it anymore. You know, you can get in some serious life-changing trouble or jail if you act inappropriately. So catcalling, the basic level of catcalling is changing, hopefully for the better. It's not going to be an instant change. It's going to be uh, through a generation. But I think there's, it's just going to lead to a much better place.
1: Mm. All right, final question. And I feel like we've had some kind of themes run through this podcast. But if you could leave women with a couple of insights into the male brain that would make their relationships easier with their male partners, what would they be?
0: I think, the, I mean, to go back to what I said is to tell the truth to be willing to sit with a men's discomfort, to not fear hurting their male egos, which just makes them dumb, and set up an environment where you can fully be who you are. Do not, do not make yourself small. You know, men are aid in a bet in women making them small, but women make them smell smaller a hundred times more than men do because they act small. And so stand up, have faith that you'll find a partner that falls in love with your bigness, with your amazingness, and do not settle for a man treating you any less than you want to be treated. We, we create the love that we think we deserve. And so know you deserve a full, big love from a man who loves all of you.
1: I hope that opens your eyes in some way. I feel like talking to Robert about relationships and seeing it from a male perspective has really made me think a little bit more deeply about coexisting with another human being. You can find Robert at his website, which is robertcandal.com. That's K-A-N-D-E-L-L.com. He also has his weekly podcast, which is called Tough Love. Robert mentioned he is writing a book. You'll be able to find out more about that over on his website, including how to work with him and so much more. This kind of felt like a good opportunity to talk about the upgrade to the iPhone app and say, thanks iTunes for making it that much easier to leave a review. Oh my gosh, it used to be so confusing. Now, if you just go into your app, if your iPhone is updated, and scroll to the very bottom when you are on Here to Thrive, you should be able to see a little button that says Review. If you've got two minutes and you've found the podcast useful, I so appreciate your feedback. I read them all. It means the world to me. And there's this little thing called Social Proof. So you would be doing me a favor and helping this podcast be so much easier to find by other people. 2018, we're into it. I hope it's treating you kindly so far. I'll be back next week as I am every Friday to give you another dose of inspiration, another dose of thought-provoking material to help you live a deeper life. So come back again. And until then, keep thriving, beautiful people. Keep thriving.